The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Expensive Words. Today's topic is going to be Show Don't Tell Part 1. And we're going to talk about two different stories and two different concepts, and also the idea that Show Don't Tell is a complicated concept in that it's layered and it means different things to different people and it's not universally applicable to every piece of writing because there are things that are written where the goal is purely to tell. (laughs) For example, nonfiction books uh, are to tell and Maria and I write about this in Write the Perfect, Read the Fiction edition And ironically, one of the reviews that we have is that it complains that all we do is tell over and over and over again instead of show. And in a nonfiction book that aims to teach the reader something, that is what you want to do. You're telling them what to do or what not to do or how to do something. So you're directly telling. And that's one of the differences between fiction and nonfiction And also we're going to talk about a memoir piece today, but memoir also has moments of telling. It shouldn't be all telling, but there are moments of introspection that come from the writer that show us something by them telling us something. So it can get confusing and it's not a hard and fast rule that if you tell in the story that you're wrong. And there's also uh, one of the books I'm going to review later, Let's Talk About Love. That book, uh, it's by Claire Kahn, that book does have these weird moments of telling. And some people get really upset about that. And in the reviews, you can see it. But that's something we're going to talk about later on uh, in another episode. And I'm going to discuss whether or not what the author of that book did was successful and discuss the reader response. So look out for that episode. But today we're going to talk about uh, one of the stories that was featured in The New Yorker. And if you want to listen to the story for free, read by the author, you can go listen to it uh, on The New Yorker, the Writer's Voice podcast. And the title of the short story is Flashlight. And it was written and it's also narrated by Susan Choi. One of the most important things we need to know about the protagonist in this story, whose name is Louisa, is that her father is gone, and also that he must have died on the day when he took Louisa for swimming lessons, and that's basically the first thing in this story. We see in contrast to Louisa, whose father's talking about how he didn't learn how to swim because his family couldn't afford things like the YMCA, that Louisa 
thinks that the YMCA is disgusting and awful. And the author is giving us a glimpse through that contrast into the fact that Louisa's character is rather entitled. And that's something that's going to come into play later on in the story. But the way that we learn about the fact that Louisa's father is gone is not from her directly saying it or thinking it. It's because Louisa says she wishes that she could clarify something her father said and that now she can never get that clarification. And the only reason why she would never be able to get that clarification is because her father is gone, which means he's dead. And Susan Choi is very clever, and the short story is really great, and you should listen to it, because Louisa's character is very aloof, and she doesn't want anyone to know what she's thinking. So it makes sense that in the story that, as the reader, I'm not being communicated with directly because that is something that enhances the way that the character's behaving and the character will behave in this story later on uh, when we see that she's going to a therapist to talk about things and she's trying to keep everything to herself. So this is one way not only of enhancing the story by using a method of storytelling that mirrors the character's feelings, but it's a way of showing without telling. And in this case, it serves the story particularly well because of the way that the main character acts. And we're also going to see an example of show, don't tell in another book. And I'm going to butcher the name here. And I apologize. I have no excuse because I lived in Hungary for a year and a half. Uh, But this book, A Crime in the Family, which was recommended to me by one of my best friends and was written by... Sacha Batanye, I know I said that wrong, sorry. He uses, uh, this is a memoir piece, and he uses the main character is going and doing, the main character, the man, the author who's writing this memoir piece is going and interviewing family members about something horrible that happened, right? That's the title, A Crime in the Family. He's trying to understand how it relates to him several decades later because one of his family members that he knew that he went to eat with on a fairly regular basis was involved in a party in the Holocaust where a bunch of Jews were stripped naked, forced to dig their own graves, and then killed. And he's trying to understand why no one in the family ever talked about it. So he's interviewing a part of, he's interviewing a family member, and she's remembering that one of her other family members always had rosy cheeks. And the author decides that he's not going to state what that means. He's going to show the reactions of the other people in the room during the interview. And he's going to trust that the reader understands the fact that if someone has rosy cheeks, that maybe they're perpetually drunk, maybe they're an alcoholic. And the fact that no one in the room wanted to explain to the person being interviewed, to the person being interviewed, why that that family member always had rosy cheeks reinforces the fact that this is a shameful idea. And this is another way of showing without telling. But the author in this case is counting on the fact that the reader will have some knowledge 
to connect the idea of alcoholism with having perpetual rosy cheeks, which for me, I had to read it twice because uh, I, I've never been drunk and I'm not normally around intoxicated people. But finally, back where in somewhere in the back of my mind, it clicked that, oh, this is a sign of alcoholism. It's a physical manifestation of uh, constantly drinking high proof alcohol. I was so shocked and delighted by this paragraph because it's very clever. It's clever to set up a scenario where one person doesn't understand what's going on, the other people understand, and the reader is able then to join in with the people who understand in that moment. It's an extremely interactive way of bringing the reader into the story. And that's something that we want to see. That's something that as a reader, I want to feel. And when that happened, the reaction that he was trying to get from me, like, oh, I'm in on the secret. It worked. And I did feel like I know something that this character hasn't figured out. And no one wants to tell her because it's depressing. It's a depressing uh, realization that she hasn't come to on her own yet. Because in her mind, the rosy cheeks are looked at through the perspective of childhood. And she hasn't made that connection as an adult yet. And not only does that help me to feel like I'm in on the secret, but also it endears you to the person who's being interviewed because of this resonant innocence that they have. And you need a lot of that in this particular type of memoir because people are pretending that something horrible didn't happen over and over and over again. So the author needs you to like some people. He needs you to feel like some people are not horrible so that you can keep reading and not feel disgusted. Even though obviously his perspective is that he wants to understand and he's not horrible. This is a moment that he can bring the reader into that's going to help them feel informed, but also understand that some of the things that happen that other family members wouldn't acknowledge, it's not that they were trying to be blind to it, although some were, but some were too young to understand exactly what was going on, and they never adjusted the lens of those experiences now that they're an adult. They're still looking at it as a child. The idea of show, don't tell is complicated because sometimes we want to directly tell the reader something. The times when I would say you have to stop telling would be when you're reading or writing a fiction piece and you suddenly have a paragraph that describes something that happened in the past without showing it happening. For example, uh, in, in The Knotted Woman, which is a book that I'm working on now that's basically finished and I'm doing scene rewrites, my writing group told me, hey, you talk about this dinner, you talk about this dinner with this other character, over and over and over and you're leading up to it and then you skip over it and show us the next day and you just tell us that the dinner happened. We want to see the dinner. And I didn't write the dinner because it's not that I was being lazy completely. It was also that I was nervous because I have to have two of the characters interact in this dinner and one of the characters is going to know that the other character is shady and they're going to find this out at the dinner because of an instinct that they have. It's like a superpower that they have. And 
I don't want the reader to know that the character is shady yet. So what I've got to do is I've got to go through and plan that dinner and figure out a way to make everything work out the way I need it to work out for the story to progress. And that's where a lot of writers get into trouble when they have a, an ambitious scene that they needed to work out just right and then they get scared and they just skip over it. And for me, that's what I did. I was nervous about the scene and I skipped over it and my writing group called me out on it, thankfully. And now I have to work hard to reconcile all the things that I need to happen together in that scene to happen in a way that makes sense to the reader and to myself and to the characters that are in that scene. That's part of the difficulty of being a writer, and it's not okay to skip over hard things because you're nervous. And that's not me preaching it to you. That's me saying, look, this is what I did too. I still get nervous about things like this. And sometimes I need people to say, hey, wait, you, did, you didn't show us this. We need to know this. We need to understand what's going on. So don't just gloss over it and then tell us in a paragraph what happened. That's not going to work. Go back and write the scene. And so if you are reading through one of your projects and you notice that you have a paragraph like that, or several paragraphs, which is even worse, you need to think to yourself, why did I do this? Was I afraid of this scene? Was I being lazy? Which we all feel lazy sometimes, and it's okay to feel that way and then take a break, but we can't just skip over entire chunks of our story. So you have to think what motivated you to tell instead of show, and go back and show what's going to happen. Show what happened instead of telling. And a lot of times I can see that the author was nervous because that is exactly what happens where I'm reading a story. They say that this thing's going to happen. It seems like it's going to be complicated. And then they retrospe retrospectively write a paragraph that, oh, this happened and now this is the next thing. And that is what I would refer to as cheating. And we don't want to cheat ourselves or the reader by being afraid and skipping scenes that are important and need to be written. So that's part of show, don't tell, is we get nervous and we're like, I'm just going to say this and that way I don't have to show what happened because that's going to be hard to write. If you feel like you're stuck, it's always good to go talk to someone else about the thing that you're doing. Uh, so for example... I didn't realize it, but I was stuck. And because I share my work with a critique group, I got the feedback I needed to remind me that I was stuck and that I took the lazy way out and that I needed to face my fear and fix that scene. And that's the same thing that you need to do, but you might not come to that realization on your own. And that's why critiquing is really useful. I don't personally think that critiquing should be used to teach you all of the ways to write and all of the things to avoid. And that's why I wrote Write This Way, 10 years of writing experience is six easy lessons. But critiquing has value in that people will point out things to you that you need to see. And also when you're stuck, you have a group of trusted fellow writers you can go to to say, help, I'm stuck in this scene. I know that I should write this, but I copped out and I wrote a telling paragraph and now I need to go back and fix it. 
So that is one of the most valuable things to use your writing group for. And if you don't have a writing group, you can join our writing group, which is called the Perfect Read Writing Group on Literary Symmetry. And it's a Facebook group. And you can can find it by going to literarysymmetry.com slash FB group. And it will take you to the group to join. And you can say in a post, hey, I'm stuck on this thing. I need help. And there are people, myself included, who will help you get through that rough patch. So that's part one of Show, Don't Tell. It's a complicated idea, but I think that we've covered a significant chunk of it so that you can understand what showing and not telling looks like with the two examples that I gave. And also you can understand why there's a temptation to do that when you're coming up to a rough scene which is what I talked about when I shared about my critique group pointing out that issue in one of my projects. If you have any questions about this, you can go to expensivewords.com and uh, email me, and I'll be sure to cover it in the next episode, Show, Don't Tell Part 2, which will come out uh, in a week or so. Until then, I hope you have a great day and I'm excited to talk to you tomorrow about another expensive writing type activity. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing.